When Canada appears at the opening ceremonies of the Olympic Winter Games in Beijing in early February, there won't be a delegation of diplomats and politicians cheering them on. Canada is among a number of Western nations following through on a diplomatic boycott of the Games over China's record of human rights abuses. The move is the latest in a series of tensions with the global superpower. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. Tasha Carradine, a National Post columnist and principal with Navigator Limited, joins me to discuss issues with Canada-China relations, the importance of the diplomatic boycott, and what this means for politics here at home. Don't forget you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, we're even on Amazon Music now. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So Tasha, the Olympic Winter Games in Beijing are creeping ever closer. This is bringing a lot more attention to Canada's at times complex relationship with China. And before we kind of dive into the politics internally about the China issue, I was hoping that we could go back a little bit into last fall before the attention was really focused on the Olympics. What has been the history of Canada's relationship with China? Well, it's been fraught for the last few years, ever since the arrest of Meng Wanzhou, the uh, former Huawei executive who was arrested in uh, Vancouver on her way through from uh, the United States and to China. And since then, you know, we've experienced a lot of pushback, including the detention of Michael Spavor and Michael Kovrig for over two years. We're finally freed Mm -hmm. this year. And that sort of tit for tat, which, you know, you can't really deny that was the situation because it was very clear from the get go that these two men had done nothing wrong and they were being detained on suspicion of being, you know, as spies, espionage and all this kind of thing. So our relationship has been fraught on that score. It's also, of course, Canada's history, a relationship with China. There's the economic side too. There's the the Huawei situation we face, whether we join the five eyes and saying no to Huawei's participation in 5G or we say yes. And also the investment that China has in Canadian companies, including the mining sector, oil and gas, reviews of their state-owned companies in China purchasing assets in Canada has been a big bone of contention. So relations have deteriorated. There is no question. I'd say they're probably at almost a nadir right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is, you know, like you said, on the, on the eve of the Olympics, of course, a lot of eyes are turning to China and wondering all over the world, what is my country's relationship with China? Late last fall, there was growing talk and it, it seemed a little late in the game to be talking about a full boycott, but there were questions around whether countries would choose to boycott the games altogether or wind up just not sending any political officials to Beijing for the Olympics. When did that talk really take traction here in Canada? And why was it a key piece of the discussion around the Olympics as to whether we would send diplomats or political officials? You have to go back further in the fall to the sort of notion of a boycott or a diplomatic boycott. It was actually in March. You had a lot of NGOs. I believe Amnesty International was one of them. And there were others that were calling for a boycott, full-on boycott of the Olympics in China due to the oppression and genocide of the Uyghur people and violations of human rights on many, many levels. Then this sort of evolved into a diplomatic boycott call, diplomatic boycott being, like you said, no officials go the athletes are not penalized. And in December, that kind of took off when you had other countries start to do it when the United States said that it would not contribute, as it put it, to the fanfare of the Olympics. That was in early December. And so then that was, you know, will the dominoes fall? So you saw countries like Australia get on board. And then Canada shortly after followed suit. 
and said, yeah, we'll send our athletes, but we will not be sending our official representatives. And those representatives, their role is really it's ceremonial. But, you know, there's the opening ceremonies, there's participation, sort of the glory and lots of you know, mutual bowing and and this kind of thing that you would do to acknowledge your presence at this event with other officials of China interface with them. So we won't be doing that. And I think that was the right decision. Mm-hmm. But that's really sort of, you know, the genesis of it was it, it goes back all the way till the spring. Had the U.S. not announced a diplomatic boycott, would Canada have done it? Or was everyone waiting for the Biden administration to say, okay, we're going to go through with a diplomatic boycott of these games? I don't believe any other country had decided prior to do it. And the pressure had been building on Joe Biden in the weeks leading up to the decision. And, you know, as you pointed out, you had to make a decision at some point. The games are in February, February 4th. They open. So if you're not going to, if you don't do it before the end of the year, you're not doing it, right? So, so no, I think that the U.S. had to take the lead. And this is the larger geopolitical issue. And we saw this with the detention of Meng Wanzhou, for example. The U.S. and China are now in a situation very analogous to the U.S. and the former Soviet Union during the Cold War. They are economic rivals. They are geopolitical rivals. They are military rivals. And they're playing this out in various arenas, including with Meng Wanzhou, I would say, the sort of the legal arena, if you will, playing it out in the economic arena and many, you know, trade sanctions, this kind of thing. And also in the sports arena, because let's face it, it's political too. Anyone who says the Olympic Games are political is kidding themselves. They've been that way ever since they were created. There's been boycotts, (laughs) there's been statements made at Olympic Games that have political connotations. So this is actually nothing new. Does a diplomatic boycott ultimately do anything? It seems very symbolic. And in general, the relationship between Canada and China seems in some ways lopsided. Does this help the relationship at all? Does it hurt the relationship with China? Do we care about the relationship with China? And is it more about making a statement that, you know, we don't tolerate your policies, whether it's related to Taiwan, whether it's related to Hong Kong, whether it's related to the Uyghurs? Is it just a way of saying we've kind of had enough? Yes, it is. And I think that there's a sense, there's been a debate about whether boycotts, whether diplomatic or full-on boycotts, because really we've had more full-on boycotts. And, you know, you've had boycotts, even China has boycotted, Mm -hmm. you know, it boycotted the games over the participation of Taiwan. And in 1976, it actually demanded that Taiwan be banned from the games in Montreal. And Pierre Elliott Trudeau, who was the prime minister at the time, he had them participate. There was a resolution by the IOC. They participated as Chinese Taipei. But he basically, you know, he sided with China in that case because China wouldn't have come. And they, they had boycotted Melbourne uh, in 1956. And Canada didn't want them to, to boycott. And we know that former Trudeau had pretty good relations with China, as, as young Trudeau seems to, or did anyway, initially. Yeah. But the idea of a boycott, it, the result is mixed. And the biggest one we've seen, of course, is the former Soviet Union in the 80s when the U.S. in particular led that. Countries didn't send their athletes. And many athletes are still bitter about that. And it's debatable as to whether that really achieved anything in the context of the time in advancing, you know, the demise of the former Soviet Union. But it made a statement. And I think that going there, it's, it's also a country, China's a country where saving face and diplomacy and, you know, being recognized by the rest of the world is very important to China. They have a very thin skin in terms of how they are seen. And their culture is also very much about saving face and, and being respected. And this is very important culturally. So to not go is a statement also within China. And I think that could be an interesting thing, depending how it's played, because we know the Chinese media is, is state controlled and the access to information is totally restricted. But mm-hmm. If the Chinese get a sense, the rest of the world, the population that, you know, they're not coming, they're not sending their officials, their top people. That is a statement, I think, that if it is disseminated, will resonate with the Chinese people. And that is something the regime doesn't like. 
because they don't want to be seen as losing face in the rest of the world. Yeah, I mean, already China had talked about consequences relating to diplomatic boycotts and even something is maybe not as consequential as NHLers not going to the the to the games. I know this is concerns, more concerns with, with COVID. I, I, I was going to have COVID. That's different. <laughs> yeah. But the response, it was a critical response from the Chinese regime as it was even related to hockey. So right. what has the Chinese response been and has it caused any concern here in Canada related to, you know, threats of quote unquote consequences? Oh, well, they, they are extremely angry and they've, you know, lashed out at the United States. They've lashed out generally saying that this is politicizing the games and this is very wrong. And it's, of course, completely hypocritical. Like I said, China itself has done this. They threatened resolute countermeasures, I believe is the phrase. Mm-hmm. Here's the reality. Right now, things, like I said, are pretty much at a nadir with China anyway for Canada. Is this going to make things worse? I don't think so. Have we been the only country to do it? Well, maybe. But really, I think at this point... You know, Canada's big challenge was twofold. One is the security challenge and the Huawei decision and also the impact that China is having within our own country on the security level. We've seen interference that's been alleged in the last election. We've seen all sorts of pressure being put on Chinese nationals or citizens of Chinese origin in Canada to, you know, do the, the bidding of Beijing, essentially, or to vote a certain way or to, in some cases, even, you know, people have been taken out of the country. There's program that Chinese have done to repatriate people for the past seven years, you know, around the world, 10,000 people, including people from Canada, some of them out out kidnapped Mm -hmm. and taken back to to China because they were seen as enemies of the state or dissidents or other. So that's the one level I think Canada's relationship with China. We got to really look at this and say, you know, what is the influence on students and universities? What is the influence on everyday citizens that China is having? And the second piece, of course, you have to weigh that against the economy and trade. I mean, we trade with China. We buy a lot from China. Yeah. We also, you know, had dreams of being a petro state <laughs> 10 years ago, <laughs> selling oil to China. And those pipelines were never built. But still, there's a huge market there. And we know that. The Chinese economy is also in trouble, though. The Chinese economy has had not had the best year. A lot of people are saying this could be an issue, obviously, for the rest of the world. Because if their economy doesn't perform well, being a, a large market and also a source of cheap goods for the rest of the world, it affects all of us. So, I think on those two levels, our government has to look at things. But to me, the national interest, the security interest is paramount. We cannot afford to have our democracy undermined by a state that does not have a democratic interest at heart Mm -hmm. and is expansionist. Let's be honest. It is an expansionist nation. So we have to be careful about that. We'll be right back. In its dealings with China, specifically in the last two years, and you mentioned it off the top, the detention of the two Michaels was a key issue here in Canada and one in which the Trudeau government, I think, took a lot of flack over. So this issue around a boycott or a diplomatic boycott of the games should have been an easy win for the Trudeau government. But it seems that even in making that decision, they dragged their feet a little bit. Yeah. And because they weren't so unequivocal, it feels like they didn't get the win they should have. Now, why is that? It, was it just its handling of the last two years of the relationship with China? Or was it the way that it announced the diplomatic boycott to begin with? Well, it announced it a few days late. Like It didn't go there right away. It waited. And it waited. Other countries like Australia, others got on board first. And so we're seeing a bit of hemming and hawing. I think that anything to do with China makes this government nervous. Mm-hmm. I really do. I feel as though... 
Justin Trudeau, like I said, he initially wanted to have a great relationship with China and had praised them before he became leader. We all know those stories. But the thing is, I think he's out of his depth when it comes to foreign policy in general. And he's certainly out of his depth when dealing with China. I think the detention of the two Michaels, the fact they were detained for so long, the fact that essentially we became a pawn in this Cold War between the United States and China, and were so dependent on what was happening there made him weak. That paralysis on this issue, I think, has, has sort of affected you know going forward like what do you do you can't win essentially like you mm-hmm. cannot win you either make the chinese state mad or you cave in neither is a win neither is acceptable you know what for first it could damage trading relationships that's a problem economically for us the second though could damage our security interests and also just the fact that you know makes us look weak on the international stage so it's kind of damned if you do damned if you don't and i think that he's frustrated i think he's as frustrated as a lot of canadians quite frankly which is why i don't think the boycott either helped or hurt him i think it was just sort of expected that yeah we'll do that yeah it's just miserable that we're all in this situation looking at the internal politics of the issue does this potentially give the opposition conservatives a club with which to batter the prime minister figuratively of course but (laughs) um does, does this present them an issue where they have strength historically you know whether that's foreign policy or whether that's the canada china relationship specifically that they can stand above the liberals as either having the moral high ground or the policy high ground? Well, our relationship with China wasn't that great with Stephen Harper either. That mm-hmm. didn't work out, I think, as the government had hoped. And like I said, in terms of exports and petroleum products, that didn't that didn't come to fruition. But I think the conservatives are in a bind as well. We saw what happened during the recent election and the allegations that uh, in at least three seats, if not, I think it was six, three seats they out and out lost due to alleged interference by China pressuring through social media, Chinese social media, you know, telling voters of Chinese origin or Chinese background that they would be banned from messaging their loved ones on WeChat back in China, like an out and out lie. But that was the kind of thing they said, the conservatives will do this, don't vote for them. So the conservatives obviously look at this and go, well, great, you know, here we've lost seats we had, we've lost a vote that by rights, we feel we've, you know, we've, we've cultivated should be ours. There's a lot of affinity between conservative thought and working hard, all the sort of principles and entrepreneurship and Chinese community that is known for that in many respects. So I think that the conservative party looked at this and go, Ugh. at the same time, you know, it's very vocal MPs within the party and the party itself stands for freedom, democracy, human rights above all. So they condemned the Uyghur genocide and it took the government to task greatly for not supporting that motion in the House. So they have been very vocal on China. There was the, the motion that they think precipitated this interference, which was to investigate or to have a scrutiny of foreign interference in Canada by one of the MPs who lost his seat, Kenny Chu. Mm-hmm. So the Conservatives have taken a stand, got clubbed potentially for it. They had this Canada-China committee, which was examining relations with China, including all these issues we're talking about. And it ceased operations when the House dissolved. They didn't bring it back. They were only allowed to bring one committee back because of a change in House rules, because of the virtual format that they're now in, the hybrid format. Mm -hmm. And they chose to bring back the Afghanistan committee and not the China committee. And I, I actually spoke to Michael Chong and asked, you know, why? Why didn't you bring back the China committee? And his view was that We've lost lives in Afghanistan. Afghanistan helped us a lot, people on the ground who helped us, and we abandoned them. And that had to be exposed because that was what the liberal government did prior to the first stage of the election. And he's right on that score. But, but, you know, if I had to choose which one I'd bring back, I'd probably choose China. I think that the conservatives are waiting to do that till June when the Afghan committee expires, in part perhaps because they did feel burned. Maybe they are figuring out what to do and how to handle this going forward. But I do think that. 
you know, from a democratic standpoint, I would like to see the conservatives really go hard on this and say, hey, you know, we cannot let this stand and hold this government to account and make sure that they don't cave on things. Even just looking as we approach the games, there have been some just bizarre stories that have come up in the media relating to Canada and China. The first one that I think caught a lot of people's attention was this allegation from China itself that Canada may be responsible for exporting Omicron to its country by snail mail. Like, what does that say about the state of the state-run media in China and also the state of relations between the two countries? Like, where does that come from? It's completely crazy. Uh, yeah, the idea that we'd mail it like ricin, you know, in an envelope is just nuts. To me, it shows a lack of respect for Canada. Mm-hmm. And there's been some really nasty things. I mean, Justin Trudeau has been compared to like a dog and other things by some Chinese diplomats in, in you know, months past. And I think it really shows that they just don't respect. They call him a boy, too. Don't respect our country. And to make such a ludicrous allegation is a piece of it. So it's also a psychological game being played. I mean, it's not just with the politicians, but the athletes too, right? I mean, China wants to do well in these games. China wants to showcase to the world, not just Beijing, not just the facilities and everything else, but its prowess in athleticism, its own people will be watching this. So it wants to come out on top. So anything it can also do to psych out the other athletes, whether it's through stupid things like this, or, you know, the fact the app now that they're making everyone have, is apparently potentially a way to get information to download video or other things from your phone and send them to sites that they shouldn't be going to. There's a security risk in the app itself. I mean, how insecure would you feel if you're an athlete that had to have this app because it tracks your health status and thinking, oh my God, is someone watching me? Like, what should I be doing? That sort of thing is a psychological warfare on the athletes. So that's another piece of this a lot of people aren't talking about, but I think it's important. It's a nasty game to play. And I think that that's part of it. I was going to ask about the app. How did this story come about and what are some of the concerns around it? I know that there's, as you mentioned, concerns around video, but also I'm understanding that this app could control what you can say on your phone. Okay, so it has two things, one of which is it could allow hackers to transmit data to malicious sites and eavesdrop on you. Mm -hmm. That there's a switch that if it's turned on, will do that. And it's alleged this can be done you know, not by the user, but by uh, someone remotely could do it and activate this piece of the app. The second thing it does is it contains a text in the Android version anyway, something called illegalwords.txt, a file, which contains almost 2,500 keywords that are considered politically sensitive in China, including things like CCP evil, as in Chinese Communist Party evil. Yeah. Chinese phrases that translated to things, horrible things like Chinese are all dogs or Jews or pigs and very weird stuff. But what that would do is it would prevent you from, it would either flag you or it would prevent you if you received a message or if you sent a message. I mean, I don't think people should be sending messages like that anyway, but the point is the government shouldn't tell you what to do or suddenly be twigged to you. Mm -hmm. So that's a problem as well. That means this app is basically insecure and you, you shouldn't use it, but they're making you use it. So it is a real conundrum for athletes. And like I said, I think psychologically, that would be a big problem. Do you think that this is an issue that you could see unity between the conservatives and the liberals on, you know, a a united front or because the government has to weigh issues such as international trade and that relationship that perhaps you still may see a stronger tone out of the conservatives going forward. I mean, that app, definitely, if it is a security risk, people shouldn't have to have it. And I think that that, I don't know how how much the government is going to weigh in on that or, or the Canadian Olympic Committee, because I think it's probably at that level that it would be weighed in. But the government could make a statement about it. I think the Conservatives should be on it. I think all the opposition parties, and in fact, 
the China committee was supported by all the opposition parties. It wasn't just the conservatives. They're putting forward a motion next week to bring it back in June of next year when the Afghan committee reaches its natural end. Mm-hmm. And they'll need the consent of the other parties. They'll need to get support for that motion. It has to pass basically. So the NDP and the uh, bloc. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see what the liberals do. Because I think this is, you know, they, they should vote with it too, in my opinion, and say, yeah, this is an issue that we take seriously and we should examine this relationship and have this committee do that. So it'll be interesting to see what they decide on that. Well, I know it's something that people will be paying attention to as the Olympics draw nearer and in the months going forward. Tasha, thanks for your time. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. 10.3 is produced by Sean Knox. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Tasha Carradine. More from her at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. Thank you.